As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break-off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. It's an unchanged lineup for the second week in a row. Mr Lee Dixon is still recovering for his knee injury, but I'm joined as ever by James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Hello, guys. Hello. Evening. Hello. And from you can hear from them, and I should say right at the top for our listeners, if you've come here for cheering up, you may have come to the wrong place. Before we start... Because we need something a bit lighter, something just to get us in the mood and get us going. Uh, and Amy came up with this question, and we're all going to think about it. On a scale of Mikel Sylvest to Thierry Henry, how much are you looking forward to the North London derby? Uh, James, I'll come to you first. I think I'm probably <laughs> around about, a, I don't know, maybe a Willian. To be honest, <laughs> I'm not feeling too good about it right now. But who knows? Maybe it will. Maybe that will change in future. Maybe I'll start to get a bit more optimistic. But at the moment, I mean, they're top of the league, aren't they? Uh, all right. Yeah. 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 I see. I, I know got we're told not supposed to that. talk about that. Yeah. I got. I got told that. No, we're not supposed to talk about that, especially when we might go down in the same season. But uh, boys, Amy. boys, boys, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, what about you? Where are you on a Mikel Sylvester and Thierry Henry scale in terms of looking forward to the North London derby? Well, right now as we speak, I'm feeling a little bit Manuel Almunia. Oh um, no! But I'm rather hoping that as the, as the weeks go, as the days go by this week, you know, some sort of uh, inner grit and determination will appear from somewhere, and I'll I'll um I'll find my inner Robert Pires. Okay. Okay. I mean, now before not too before optimistic, I, but no, no. Before I answer this question, Amy said I, I'm, I, I should take bets on whether you or James are going to be more um, optimistic, and I I texted straight back saying bet on James, right? <laughs> and and I th- well, the reason I'm saying that is because I'm feeling Eagle Stepanoffs at the moment. To be honest with you, in terms wow. of the North London derby, I just I look at what they've got and what we've got, and I worry for us. Um, yeah, that was meant to be sort of upbeat, wasn't it, really? But uh, there you go. Uh, we've done that. <laughs> can we make a, Can we just uh, say what Tayo said before coming on? Which was? Bakary Sanya. He was feeling Bakary Sanya. Yeah, and, and the I reason he was feeling Bakary Sanya, just for some positive symbolism, is that kind of clenched fist, 
getting back in when all's looking a bit doomed at 2-0 down, scoring one before half And he got that header, that great mm, header in the Emirates, mm. when the Emirates was rocking, got back to 2-1 and then it all came from there. Was that the first 5-2 or the second 5-2? I don't recall. That was the first one, I believe. All oh, right, that was Robin Van Persie curling it in at 2-2 and then Rosicki and Walcott going mad with that one. Yeah, I think so. Oh, I think so. It's a nice day. It's a very, very nice day. Um, it does feel a long time ago, not least because there was a crowd uh, in there as well. Um, by the way, I should say that we do have a Black Friday offer for you, Athletic listeners. To celebrate Black Friday, we're giving you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for our best ever price. It's just £1 a month for a full 12 months, and you can cancel at any time. So you can access all of The Athletic all year long, including all of our podcasts ad-free. We'll bring you unrivaled coverage of Arsenal and the Premier League for an unbeatable price. And we won't be running a better deal anytime soon. This offer runs up until the 4th of December, so don't miss out. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and pay just £1 a month for 12 months. This offer is for new subscribers only. We better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. I don't want to talk about lack of creativity again, because frankly, it would show a lack of creativity on my part. But Amy, you wrote a piece for The Athletic yesterday, uh, which was entitled Arsenal Look Broken, open brackets, again, close brackets. Uh, And I just want to just read back to you the opening paragraph. You said, what have Arsenal become? Are they fixable? Meaning really properly retuned to be able to compete where they want to be in the upper echelons of the Premier League and back in the Champions League? Now, that's a pretty big question, but all right, I'll ask you this, Amy. With this squad, can we can we get anywhere near with the squad we have at the moment and the deficiencies we have? It's looking pretty unlikely. Um, I think that there therein lies the problem. And I found at the end of the game yes, yesterday, just trying to make sense of it, I just kept thinking... What must Mikel Arteta be thinking in the sense that here's a guy who came in and picked up a mess and did a fairly decent job of sorting that mess out. Uh, people are having different sort of views along the spectrum of the extent to which he, he did well there. I mean, there's a bit of revisionism, I think, going on, but he did manage to get hold of a whole load of problems and shake them up and turn a team that had looked uh, in real trouble into a team capable of getting back into into Europe and, and winning the FA Cup by beating some very strong opponents. And I think there was reason why people felt fairly optimistic, probably including the manager. But what must be so worrying for him is how all the issues of, uh, of recent matches, particularly these home games, um, where in different ways Arsenal have come unstuck and look very much second best. Um, those old Emery-esque end of era problems, are, you know, have re- have reappeared mm. sort of so strongly, uh, and I think it must be very confusing, probably, for a young manager when you come in and you make things better, and then suddenly all that work seems to be unstitched. Um, I don't know how you go about uh, kind of refixing it again. It feels a bit back to square one for Mikel Arteta. I mean, when you look at the team now, it feels similar to the 
to the team he walked into, which well, is really right. quite quite alarming. Um, it it I, is. I mean, there are there, I, I, there are lots of factors. Exactly, there are things that are not helpful at all. Um, but I mean, yeah, I just it's just very worrying to feel. Uh, a team that's so vulnerable, so toothless, and uh, yet again we're talking about a midfield that right. just seems to be at the heart of a lot of the problems because it's neither helping the defence nor the attack. Hang on a second, Amy. I want to talk about Xhaka and Ceballos. Um, I, I mean, I should remind people, we should talk uh, about this, James, about how you know we did win the FA Cup with those two in the centre and midfield, not uh-huh. three, four months ago, whatever it is. Mm. So so have they got slower and more... And uh, No, I'm, I'm actually asking, have they, have they got slower, more fearful? What's happened to make them look so ponderous? That's one of the most ponderous midfield performances I've ever seen. Yeah, and I do think that the, you know, a big part of the creativity problem this season for me has been the drop off in performances from Ceballos because towards the end of last season he was kind of providing that. He, he was, was great. a guy. Yeah, he looked fantastic and you know, his form has has dramatically declined as has Shaka's. I mean, I thought both of them were really poor, really really poor against Wolves and you know, you're right to point out they were kind of integral in that team that went to win the FA Cup. I think, you know, they were they were playing in a different system then, slightly. I mean, you know, he's changed things around a bit in a way that doesn't necessarily seem to suit these players. Yeah, the three at the back has always protected Shaka. It's always offered, you know, that bit of mitigation against some of his weaknesses. Um, you take that away from him, suddenly I think he gets a bit exposed. But the players, the passing of those two players is miles off what it was. Yes. You know, they're not playing between the lines. They're not playing the ball with any urgency. I mean, if you think about Granite Xhaka for all his weaknesses, you know, what are his strengths? And you do think about kind of lofted passes, you know, to a, a fullback or a wingback who's running in behind. He, he has that sort of golf-like ability to kind of chip the ball and dead, to land dead on the spot. I haven't seen him play a pass like that. It feels like in months and months. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it's very difficult to ascribe that to anything in particular. I think, you know, the amount of times Shaka went backwards yesterday, went back to Gabrielle or went back to Louise or Holding, uh, didn't look forward. Is that a player who's, whose confidence is suffering? Almost certainly. But I think you do have to look at the team and what they're doing as well. I mean, I just sort of can't believe, and I used to say this at the end of the Emery reign, and I don't think we're in that place with Arteta, but I used to say, I don't believe what we're seeing on the pitch is possibly by design. I just can't imagine that this is the way Arteta intends this team to play. There's no way. I mean, if he does, then that would be massively concerning. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. 
By the way, our producer, Teo, uh, yesterday did tweet, Danny Ceballos looks at old videos of Alexander Kleb and probably admires his killer instinct. Uh, <laughs> there was something very, very negative about the two of those uh, in midfield. I mean, we've gone round and round this quite a bit, Amy. We do, I mean, listen, we'd like to think when Thomas Partey uh, comes in, that will make that central midfield area much better. Um, I also want to talk about David Luiz as well. There was a point yesterday when David Luiz, while his head was bleeding, and by the way, on that, we do want to wish Raul Jimenez uh, all the best. Um, it was an awful, awful uh, clash of heads, and it, I, just horrible to listen to. The noise, when you can hear it, is pretty grim. Uh, but David Luiz took a free kick in the first half while his head was bleeding, coming through the bandage. Um, and the, the commentator said, that's bad by his own high standards. And I thought... He hasn't scored a free kick in five years, Amy. I thought it was actually quite good by his standards, to be honest with you. He only put it in row T as opposed to row Z. Uh, look, it's an ongoing issue. Uh, I think considering there's this set-piece set specialist coach now, you'd like to see some uh, effect there. Uh, but it just seems... Uh, uh, there was another free kick as well. where I think it was uh, Aubameyang and Willian standing over the ball. I don't know about you lot, but I was watching that thinking... I think let Aubameyang take this, <laughs> and I, and Willian did, and it wasn't a particularly uh, outstanding effort either. And I just it feels all almost a bit like, well, who wants to have a go here, and who's senior? I don't know, uh, but there's not really much conviction, I don't think, in who's going to take set pieces. You know, there's a bigger picture problem. It's not just about set, you know, set pieces and who takes a free kick, but the you know that. We spent a lot of time under Unai Emery saying, what's the identity of the team? And we never really got an answer in the end, did we? And it's slightly worrying that I think we, I think it felt like there was a, an identity of sorts forming, albeit people thought that this was a stepping stone to what Arteta might be aiming for with better resources and more experience and, and more time. Um, but actually, what seems to have happened in, uh, as time has gone by this season is the identity becomes a little bit less clear. What he, what the team is trying to do, it's like what James was saying before. It can't be that what is being sent out is what is being asked yes. of them. Somewhere there must be a breakdown between what the idea is and what's being executed or not executed. But it does leave Arsenal looking like a team that you can't really suss out what they're trying to do again, no. which a year down the line is. It again, feels like you've you've achieved something, but then slip back, and that's what feels difficult. And I must feel very difficult for Mikel Arteta. I think he really needs friends around him at the moment. He really needs uh, a few um, people giving him some encouragement and some wise words. I don't know who he would turn to for those kind of things, but I'd like to think that he's not sitting there kind of on his own just with his coaching staff trying to thrash it out. I don't know whether there's someone external that he he feels he can look up to who might try and give him a few wise words, but it feels like a, 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 a defining moment, really, in his evolution as a coach right now. Quite. Um, also, by the way, James, why didn't Rob Holding start, do you think? I mean, he obviously does like David Luiz, but he played on Thursday, uh, David Luiz, and, and mm. you know, Holding has done pretty well when he's come in, and... Uh, um, I'd like to have seen him start. So it's 
It, it doesn't make any sense. It also, by the way, and I think you'd agree, it doesn't make any sense that David Luiz stayed on for one second longer after that clash of heads. No, I mean, the issue of the head injury and the way in which that's dealt with the protocols that exist, you know, clearly that needs some revision. And, uh, you know, I mean, that was a hor- horrible, horrible incident and a, a horrible start to the game. As for Luis starting, I don't personally object to that just because if you ask me what Arsenal's problem is, I think it's that they, they don't move the ball up the pitch efficiently or, or well enough. And I and actually he think he can do that. You know, he's yes. someone who can play a pass into you know, into somebody's feet 30 or 40 yards and, and progress the play. I think one of the things we saw yesterday is that, you know, I, I think it was kind of hoped that moving Aubameyang to the middle would be a kind of, you know, a bit of a panacea for this team. But but there was just no connection between the midfield and the attack. And, you know, I, I feel like the longer the season wears on, I mean, it couldn't be more apparent that a player of the ilk of Meza Ozil uh, it's required, you know. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I, I just you know want to what? note the time, and we finally yeah. got to mentioning uh, Mesut yeah, Ozil because it could have been minute one. Let's be honest. It, I, I it mean, could have I, done. I, I, yes, okay. I don't know about you lot, but I definitely felt of of all the games lately, it was watching the game yesterday that made me think, like Jesus, what what is this? What is this? Yeah. Because what's happening? I, I think I think everybody's got. There's a whole range of massively strong opinions out there on on this situation, um, and probably always will be because I'm not sure there'll ever be the answers that people really want. But I could understand personally that Arsenal tried to do something different from what Meza Urza was providing in that kind of you know last few months or whatever, where things had dropped off in terms of his um, his direct contribution to to goals and creation of chances definitely his numbers had dropped that's a fact compared to what he was capable of in the early part of his time at Arsenal um you know whether you agree with it or not I could understand if the club took a view that they thought maybe we're going to try something else here because of the things that they weren't happy about or whether it was work great and Mikel Arteta wanted someone who was going to press and 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 uh, push and yes, that's you know, gone play as well, a million miles an hour that's not Meza Ozil so if you decide you're going to have a different um a different tempo or a different uh style that's you've got to respect the coach for that to a degree but you know what what we're looking at is so you know you can't nobody could turn around and say that even a non-pressing sort of non like running like crazy Meza Ozil slightly relaxed Meza Ozil isn't going to be an improvement creatively on what Arsenal is right now you know I, I, d- I doubt very much and we don't know all the details but I doubt very much that Ozil's been an angel in this situation and I think that there are you know there are very logical reasons that Arsenal would want to move on from him but when you talk about a player like Shaka and you talk about players going sideways if I think about what is the kind of archetypal fast pass Shaka used to play when he was sort of you know had his use in this team it was a pass into Meza Ozil because what's yeah. Ozil's greatest gift it's it yes it's his passing and his technique but it's also his ability to find, find space, space. Yeah. and be available in that area between midfield and attack and there's just a gulf there in this team and and it's you know, when you make a big decision like Mikel Arteta did and it works for you and you win an FA Cup without players who you've ostracised or, or certainly excluded, let's say, from the group, that's all well and good. But when the results aren't going your way, 
questions will be asked and situations like that will be brought up. And we are asking at the moment another question to be asked. Um, I ask this of both of you, but Amy. Um, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang's body language. Um, I mean, I, I would say not a captain when when situations like this occur. He doesn't seem like the sort of guy who you know gets his fist and roll your sleeves up and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he's getting no service. I went from being angry with him yesterday to feeling sorry for him. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that I, I do take a bit of. Um umbrage with people who trot out the line that oh since he signed his new contract you know uh he's just like <laughs> not trying that hard i mean i just i i, I can't have that i'm afraid i think well, there's simplistic anybody, and nonsense really we know that. it's 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 much more nuanced than that and anybody who has who knows um Yang well or has worked with him will tell you that uh he is a guy who's efforts and energy levels and commitment uh, are really pretty exemplary most of the time and I just can't see that it's in his character to you know sign another contract and sort of shrug and not and not care I think this team is struggling and he's struggling with it and last season he really shouldered such an enormous burden at times when uh, the team was a mess and he was just kept on score and kept getting the team out of jail or kept providing that magic moment um, epitomised by the cup final. And I also think you can't underestimate what's going on at the moment, the bigger picture of sort of COVID football. You know, playing for this long without crowds, uh, the no pre-season, the kind of the Sunday nights and the third, you know, this is, I reckon it's a very wearing time emotionally for players. And it's yeah, very all easy to, to sit at home and... Of course they are. I'm not, but I'm just suggesting that it might be that you know, think you know he's he's gone a bit flat, but there's no intent there. You know, people no. do lose a bit of form. Goal scorers can be streaky. That's nothing new in the history of football. And sometimes you need your team to help you out as well. And he helped the team out all last season, and no one's helped him out this season. Maybe the crowd thing does impact him. I mean, what do we know about him? We know he's an extrovert. We know that he's someone who enjoys, you know, the kind of the goal scoring side of things. Those people, they do respond to that environment. Oh, well, I, I would I would suggest, and I've talked about this with a couple of people today, that I think there's no way we'd have lost three at home with the crowd there because there's no way they'd have done so many backward passes with the crowd there. They would have, we would have been saying to them, get the ball forward. And and I think, what, did the, what were the words you used, uh, Amy, in the piece? Um insecure, embarrassingly easy to play against, too slow, too predictable. I think that sort of sums up where we are at the moment. Um, Amy, we're 14th at the moment and probably deservedly 14th. How much worse can it get? I can't remember too many times in, you know, 40 odd years of watching Arsenal when uh, they've been too long down the sort of lower mid table. So they usually find a way of working things out. Um, and it's so congested in that kind of middle of the table department that I think had Arsenal won yesterday, they would have gone up to seventh or something. So it's yes. still a it's still fairly early days. I think Arteta said yesterday, sort of give it another three, four, five games, and then you kind of start to feel where the table rears. So he's obviously not quite panicking just yet. But they've got to find a way of turning the corner somehow, and uh, it's hard to see where that's going to come from. But if you think about before the Old Trafford game, I think. 
it wasn't exactly the same, but people were very negative uh, and and not really predicting great things from that. And sometimes when the the you know, the, the chips are sort of below ground level, that somebody finds a, a way. Also, stylistically, you know, that was a game that suited the way that Arteta's team kind of play, I think. And and maybe Spurs will be too. I mean, basically, his record is much better, or, or his performances at least seem to be much better in the bigger games. Um, and, you know, if Arsenal beat Spurs next week, which I, as you know, I'm not optimistic of, Spurs are top of the league, we'd only be five points off them. So it is a, it is a super compressed table. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. A bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Uh, this is Handbrake Off. I'm Ian Stone here with Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. A couple of other things we want to talk uh, about. Amy, you had a long interview with Arsene Wenger uh, a couple of weeks ago. We sort of saved talking about it a bit because there's been a fair bit of Wenger on uh, on the airways. He was also on Desert Island Discs uh, as well. Um, there is also a podcast that you can listen to. Um, Lawrence meets Wenger, was it? Is that what it was? Got something. <laughs> but um, you talked to uh, you talked to Arsenal. I know you've been a huge admirer of his for years and years. It was as uh, as uh, enjoyable and twinkly as you would hope. Yeah, it's, uh, it was really great to see him uh, on such uh, good and relaxed form. And uh, he, I, I think he's always in education. I felt that right from the start. I remember as a very young uh, reporter when he first turned up uh, going to press conferences back in the early days at, at London Coney. In fact, at Sockwell House, as used to be, there was a brilliant period where Arsenal, when they were rebuilding the training ground, were just hanging out in the local hotel in St Albans, which was always hilarious because you'd see, um, I don't know, Martin Keown in the corridor sort of like, you know, standing aside for some sort of lady on the way to the spa or whatever. It was just sort of, it was just great, sort of slightly out of context stuff. Um and uh, you'd sit down with Arsene in, uh, when he first came over to English football and people would be asking the sort of questions that they were used to asking football managers. And he would say things and you'd almost get the feeling sometimes people sort of mouths were just beginning to, to drop yeah. a bit listening to him because he t- tended not to say things and, and, and had more original thoughts than was normal at that time and he had a, a this very worldly view which was again quite new and I often went o- home from one of those press conferences thinking I think I've really learned something today about football just from listening to him and I, I I rather like the fact that 
20 something years later I still have that feeling sometimes and um I mean there's just one thing that uh I felt was pertinent after you know recent events with, with with the team struggles that I thought was really interesting and the point is not about crowds although he's talking about crowds but he's talking about players who struggle to fulfill their talent because of the intensity of football world and you know whether that comes from pressure or or whatever and he says you have players who can't express their full potential because they are inhibited when you were a player you need to say i will walk out there in front of 60,000 people and show you how good i am if you think i will walk out there in front of 60,000 people but i'm scared i'm not good enough i wish you good luck you lose people from that that insecurity and I think those kind of ideas, you know, that kind of understanding about what can go through the mind of, of players and the way he was always very tuned in into, into what people thought, into getting to know his players um, and how they were feeling and what might make them tick and what might not. He had his, you know, it didn't always serve him well and he, you know, fully wasn't perfect and, and knows that himself. But generally, to be able to try and educate and listen to people and understand them um, I, I tended to serve him quite well, I think, with his teams. Tended to he tended to see who could handle it and who couldn't. And I just look at the team right now, and I think, it's, you know, are they going out there thinking I'm scared? It certainly looks. It does certainly look that way. I mean, James, I've got to be honest. Um, I've found the last few months and uh, all this sort of Arsene Wenger, I'm not going to say worship, but people acknowledging an amazing man he is, and I've no doubt he is an amazing man. But I haven't really let go my feeling that part of what's going on now is his fault. And I don't know what you think about that. I was looking at some of the signings in the last few years. And there's no one, you know, in 2016-17, we signed Rob Holding, who I really like and I think could go on to really have a great career. We, we sold Serge Gnabry, who's done pretty well. And we also signed the next year, Amiang and Lacazette, or maybe a year and a half after that. Apart from that, there's very few players that I look at that I think they're nowhere near the squad or they're peripheral players in the squad. I think the seeds were sown for what's happening now while he was still here. And, and I still can't let go of the fact that I think he stayed two seasons too long. I think he probably did stay two seasons too long. I don't think I can dispute that. I mean, in terms of costly summers, there are two that, that spring to mind for me. One is actually... 2015 when we didn't buy an outfield player we only brought in Petacek and I think the team struggled consequently and the one the following summer 2016 when a lot of money almost 100 million pounds was spent on uh, Shkodra Mustafi, Granit Xhaka and Lucas Perez and you know that was a big outlay for the club at the time and one that we've not really had anything like appropriate degree of return on but I do also, it's interesting that you say that about Arsenal because I, I kind of think what what was Arsenal's thing? You know, up till those last couple of years, it was consistent qualification for the Champions League. And do you not think there's a lot of supporters <laughs> who would bite your hand off for that right now? <laughs> well, quite. Although it was getting a bit embarrassing for the last few years in the Champions League, turning up at the Emirates and watching us getting beat it by, you know, massacred by Bayern by, by Munich or, um, or Monaco or whoever. But I take your point. I don't want, don't want people that uh, to think that I don't have huge admiration for the man, but I, I, I'd like to see us be a bit better before I can start letting go of those feelings. Um, there yeah, is sure. There, there is a little bit of hope for the future. I feel I've been watching. I've been uh, watching. I've been enjoying the Europa League uh, this year. Art de Rocher wrote a piece 
um, about the Europa League and the um, the pretty pretty outstanding qualification for the uh, the knockout stages. Uh, Amy, at the end of that game, I, I, I think there were eight academy graduates. Uh, well, not the end. There were eight academy graduates uh, either on the bench or on the pitch. Uh, the future looks quite bright if we can just hold it together for a couple of years. It's always about that blend, though, isn't it? It's I think the idea that you could have eight academy kids come through and then, you know, put sort of three or four players around that and that be your team to try and be in the top four of the Premier League or whatever. That's, a, That's what I want. Um, <laughs> it might be what everybody wants, but it's probably a little bit idealistic. Um you know, having a, a, a great number of those guys come through is tremendous. It's always enjoyable and everybody wants them to be absolutely tip top. Uh, probably some might be good play. You know, you want them to have careers, but it might end up not being at Arsenal in the longer term. Um, some might be more like squad players. I, I just uh, on a side issue, I find myself wondering about Ainsley Maitland-Niles at the moment. Yes. Mm. Is anyone else? Oh, No. no. Absolutely. Why wasn't he playing? Why wasn't he playing? Just yesterday? a bit, you know. He, he turned in some absolutely class performances at, uh, at times for for the club not that long ago, and suddenly it's like he can't. He's barely in the team, and and yes. the team is struggling so much. And I don't know. I sort of sort of why is he so out of favour all of a sudden? And he, I think that's a perfectly fair question, James. Do you have any thoughts? Well, he, he had a particularly good game, I don't know if you remember, at Molyneux against Wolves. He played on the left-hand side up against Darmit. When we won 2-0. We did win 2-0 and he was pretty good um, uh, on that day, as I recall, and sort of, you know, showed some, some good defensive awareness. I, I would have played him. I mean, I, I do wonder if Arteta's going to go back to, you know, what I would call his kind of FA Cup team, you know, for this first game. Yeah, and, and wing-backs. And if he does... I, I, I'd like Maitland-Niles to be one of those wing-backs. Yes, we would uh, like that. Uh, one final piece that I would uh, like to talk about very briefly. David Ornstein wrote a piece uh, about Freddie Lundberg. He spoke to Freddie Lundberg and Freddie Lundberg told a story, uh, Amy, about working on a building site, humping about wood and bits of insulation when he was 16. And it said it gave him an appreciation of the privilege of being a footballer. Do you think that some of our current squad, uh, I'm not mentioning names, do not totally um, understand that privilege at the moment it's a it's something that Per Mertesacker is very very keen on um, pressing home to to this team I remember talking to him about this very thing uh, not so long ago and he sort of aired a little bit of frustration in that you could you know what you can't do now is go and send them onto a building site or uh, whatever I mean Per Mertesacker worked in a in a hospital i think as a porter um when when he was younger and he felt that was absolutely critical part of his uh, appreciation of the job that he went into um but he wants very much for the young players to have as great an understanding and i think it's a big part of their education that they that they are constantly reminded of how privileged they are um but that they're not in a position where they can actually say, go on, off you go for six months, go and do some heavy lifting. This doesn't work like that. No, no. Although, James, power on a building site would work, wouldn't he? Wouldn't need scaffolding, for one thing. <laughs> Very true, yeah. He'd be making a good labourer. I, I, found, I found it interesting, that Freddie Jumberg interview, and I feel like um, 
Well, I don't think you have to read behind, between the lines too much to sort of see that... <laughs> it's on the lines. Yeah, well, uh, that he kind of wanted to um, go go his own, you know, and that he felt a little bit... Uh, sidelined would maybe be too strong, but that yes. he was he had a role within Arteta's set-up, but it wasn't the role that he had hoped for or envisioned for himself. So, you know, it'd be very interesting to follow his managerial career. I mean, I always remember... It was very brief, his tenure as kind of caretaker. But I I often think about that game at Goodison Park where he dropped, I mean, I think about two-thirds of the team and basically went with academy kids and people he'd worked with at under-23 level. Um, and I thought that was a really sort of bold and impressive move. Right, granted, for a guy who knew he wasn't going to be around for the long term, but I quite liked the, the cut of his managerial jib in sort of being bold, being brave and making that selection decision. Quite. Um, well, I say I'm 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 pinning most of my hope uh, right now in the academy kids. Um, let's have a song. Uh, let's have a because <laughs> we all feel like a song at the moment. I love this bit. I always love the song bit. Um, Amy, what have you got for us? Um, well, I'm going to try and bring the mood up with the Cure and uh, a song from Head on the Door because that's all facey. We wanted to bash our heads onto something quite a lot lately, nice. uh, and a, a real uplifting one called Sinking. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, James, what have you got? I don't know. I mean, I, I was thinking, I was wondering if we should have gone for one of Arsene Wenger's Desert Island Discs. What did you make of his uh, music selections, guys? There was some quite sombre well, stuff. Marley. It was melancholy, Bob, wasn't it? Bob Marley yeah. was nice. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it, it was quite melancholy, but um, it was a pretty mainstream selection, wasn't it? I would suggest. Maybe. I mean, yeah, Numakitpa, Jacques hmm. Brel. Uh, avec le Tom. There was there was a melancholy to it. I think I actually was even reading. Somebody told me that because he, he picked my way, right? Was one of his uh, tracks, as I recall. And someone was saying that the French version that he mentioned is actually more melancholic in tone than the sort of triumphalist American one. You know that it's kind of more reflective. I've never heard the French version, um, but I'm just going to say the French version of my way for my song this week. Hopefully, Tyro can find it. So we've got we've got a song called Sinking. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, some melancholic French version of My Way. I was trying to look for songs that had ponderous or boring or one paste in the title, but nothing came up. I always find this a bit difficult because, you know, I feel like I'm the only person who's written a book about music and I get patronised by everyone else <laughs> on this show. But um, anyway, I've gone for Tragedy by the Bee Gees. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's the Bee Gees and not Steps, Ian. Not the Steps. Yeah, uh... thank you. Thank you for giving me some credit for that. I appreciate that. Um, thank uh, Stoney, you. Stoney, do you play any musical instruments? Um, I play the kazoo. <laughs> no, I don't play any musical instruments. Oh, a bit of piano, but not much. Why? I just wondered. Do you, Amy? Uh, yeah. 
That's the question she wanted me to ask, isn't it? Okay, sorry, you know what this is? You know what this is? This is, you may have written a book about music, but you know nothing about well. it because you can't formulate any in your in your hands and head. I get what's going on here. Okay. Um, anyway, that's the end of... It needed uh, saying. I'm just you know, did it need, putting it, it out didn't, there. I'm not sure it did need saying. Anyway, uh, it's nice, uh, nice to speak to you both, as always. Uh, thank you to James. Uh, thank you to Amy as well. Uh, thank you to Teo Papula, our producer. And uh, uh, that's it. North London Derby next week. Maybe that's Roy Keane. It's exactly the sort of game we need. I'm Ian Stone. This has been the Handbrake Off podcast for The Athletic. Thanks for listening. Thank you.